You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Right now, more than half of the United States is in some form of drought. It's not just out west. It's up in the Pacific Northwest. It's in the upper Midwest. There's drought in New England, and there's even dry conditions here in North Carolina where I live. Almost 80 million people live in some part of the country where there's drought. During times like this, every drop really does count. Showerheads are an easy way to conserve water in our homes. That's why I use High Sierra Showerheads at my house, and I'm really proud that they're a sponsor of this podcast. They carry the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency and use 40% less water than conventional low-flow showerheads. They use just a gallon and a half a minute. So what does that come out to? For every minute you're in the shower, you're saving one gallon of water. You take a 10-minute shower, that's 10 gallons of water you have not used because you have high Sierra shower heads. Over the course of a month, that's 300 gallons of water that have been conserved. You're going to also save on your water bill and your energy bill. You can get 20% off using promo code LOOP20 at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the water loop. Hi, welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Going to be talking today about a new tool, a very exciting tool to help with water management. Involves satellites and the cloud and a lot of great practice and pilot studies out west especially. Uh, It's called OpenET. I'm joined for this episode by two guests, Robin Grimm, Director of Climate Resilient Water Information Systems at the Environmental Defense Fund, and also joined by Forrest Melton, a research scientist at Cal State Monterey Bay. So before we dive into the tool OpenET itself, I think it's important that we define for folks what that ET portion means, because this really sets sets the baseline for this whole tool, evapotranspiration. Um, what is evapotranspiration? Yeah, so evapotranspiration is the process by which water evaporates from the land surface and transpires from plants. It's the second largest component of the water cycle, and so can be thought of as the opposite of precipitation. It's water that leaves the land surface and goes back out into the atmosphere. And as such, it's a measure of the water that can no longer be used in a local system after having been applied to the landscape. Some water that's applied may recharge a groundwater basin or run off into a local stream, but that water can often be used again. ET is the water that's been consumed and cannot be reused. In the West, we tend to pay really close attention to precipitation, uh, water and snow, so the largest component of the water cycle, to get a sense of how much water is available. It's equally important to pay attention to how much water is being consumed, which we can measure through evapotranspiration. So we like to say that managing uh, water without an understanding of ET is kind of like trying to manage a household budget without really understanding how much money is being spent day-to-day. Despite its importance, though, only a small minority of farmers across the West have been able to use this data, in part because it's been so difficult and expensive to get in the past. And similarly, small water managers have also been unable to access this data. Um, And water management really is, is truly a local undertaking. So 
being able to level the playing field in the way OpenET does is really critical. The fact that we're making this data widely accessible to both farmers and water managers alike, big and small, um, we think is, is a really important piece in meeting some of the ma- water management challenges we're facing today. Could you elaborate on that point of, of why the knowledge of evapotranspiration is helpful to improved water management? Um, you know, you mentioned there's a lot of attention paid to this, but just elaborate on why, especially in, in, the, in the West. This is so important to know. Yeah, I mean, to, to use sort of a, an old saying that folks have heard before, you can't manage what you can't measure, right? So um, as climate change and drought are putting more and more pressure on our water supplies, we really do need to have a solid understanding of how much water is being consumed by crops and other vegetation um, as they grow across the landscapes of the West. Um, and, you know, as a, as a starting point, this just helps us get a better understanding uh, and ability to track a water budget in a more realistic way and and in, in closer to real time. Um, but more specifically, in terms of different end users for this data, OpenET can help rural communities design locally driven water conservation and trading programs that use this data as, as the baseline accounting data for those types of programs. Um, and at larger scales, it can help policymakers more accurately track supplies at kind of those bigger scales, those basin scales, right? Um, and simplify regulatory compliance and the fact that the data is available to both those policymakers and local communities at the same time, we think is really critical in terms of those entities working together and sort of co-developing solutions with a common baseline understanding um, of what's happening on the ground. And then last but not least, OpenET can help farmers improve irrigation practices that help them maximize crop per drop and reduce costs for fertilizer, water, and energy. Before OpenET, historically, or even in recent years, how would evapotranspiration be measured? Um, I think it was this was difficult information to get for, for water managers, for farmers, for communities. You know, how, how was that done in the past? Or what were the problems with being able to track and measure evapotranspiration? So there have been a, a couple of different techniques that have been available. Folks have used something called a crop coefficient approach, where you'll take informa- weather information to calculate what's called reference ET, uh, or the evapotranspiration from a reference crop. You can think of this as how much water would be used maybe by your front lawn, uh, or in some states it's a well-watered alfalfa crop. And then that's scaled by uh, what's called a crop coefficient for individual crop types, uh, locations, these tend to, techniques tend to assume that everything is well-watered and perfectly grown all the time, and so that can be challenging. Information has also been available from satellite-based approaches for measuring evapotranspiration, but it tends to be uh, fragmented, produced using different approaches, uh, and only available for specific regions or um, specific water managers or water users. One of the things that OpenET is doing is bringing those different approaches together on a single platform to make it easier to compare and understand similarities and differences, identify the strengths of different approaches, and then produce a single estimate that represents a consensus number for evapotranspiration, leveraging the strengths of these different approaches. So, so OpenET, there, there's a lot of awesome partners involved in this. It's, it's really impressive. Um, where, where, what was the genesis of saying, you know what, we need to build a 21st century tool? And could you talk a little bit about that and who's involved in this and what each partner's bringing to it before we actually kind of pull up the tool and take a look? 
Sure. So uh, OpenET came about as a result of uh, discussions of, amongst a number of teams that had been working on using satellite data to map evapotranspiration. Um, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to uh, organize a workshop with Joya Banerjee of the S.T. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and Tyler Erickson of, of Google Earth Engine on this topic to see if there were strategies available to the community to run the data uh, run all these different approaches using Earth Engine to bring together all of the satellite data and allow the teams to work together to determine the most highest quality, most accurate inputs that we could produce and then drive the models with a consistent set of publicly available satellite and weather data and then compare them at scales that we'd never been able to do before to understand the similarities and differences between these approaches and develop this ensemble-based estimate that takes advantage of the strengths of each of the different uh, models and approaches. So the team uh, began planning and designing the system about four years ago. Mm. And from the very beginning, the team took a user-driven design approach where we worked with uh, dozens of partners in the agricultural uh, water resources management and conservation communities to understand their requirements for use, uh, barriers to more widespread use of data on evapotranspiration and developing innovative water management strategies that can work at scale across the Western US. Uh, and then throughout the process, involve these partners in, an, in multiple working groups to help advise on just about every feature of OpenET, from the way the information was presented to the documentation uh, to the materials that go along with it in terms of helping folks understand uh, how to use the information and how it's produced. I'll just add that the other thing we did as the, these partnerships evolved was develop a series of use cases that allowed us to begin testing and piloting the use of ET data uh, in different water resource management applications as the tool was being built. And this has been invaluable in helping us understand the importance of developing open data services and automated application programming interfaces so that data from OpenET can be integrated into existing water data information systems and tools that are being developed to help with management of water, whether that's someone waking up at, uh, early in the morning to turn on a pump or open a valve or someone trying to make decisions about management of a, of a major water uh, basin. Hmm. Great. Thank you for that backstory. So, Let's maybe just talk about how it works. Um, how, how does OpenET work? And uh, and also be great to take a look. I think you might be able to pull it up and, and show people that are viewing. And some people will be listening, so maybe you can help describe what, what we're looking at also as part of that. Sure, happy to. Uh, one of the first points I want to make is that evapotranspiration is happening all around us you know, all the time. Uh, but because water returns to the atmosphere as water vapor, it's invisible, we can't see it. We tend to forget about what, a, you know, what an important process it is. This can also make it difficult and expensive to accurately measure on the ground over large areas. We can measure this accurately at the scale of individual fields, but that's expensive and time consuming. So fortunately, over the last about two and a half decades, uh, scientists have developed techniques to calculate and map evapotranspiration at the scale of individual fields using publicly available satellite and weather data. Now, Landsat, which is a joint USGS and NASA satellite mission, is the real workhorse here. This is the satellite that gives us the combination of measurements in the thermal infrared and optical wavelengths that we need to drive these models, 
But there are other satellites that we can bring in to help improve the consistency and accuracy of the data. And some of the models rely on uh, data from NOAA satellites and European Space Agency satellites. In terms of the basic principle that we use, it's something that I'm guessing um, just about everyone is familiar with. If you've, if you've run through a sprinkler on a hot summer day, you understand the, the basic physics at work here. right? After you run through a sprinkler, water evaporates and it cools your skin. And the same process occurs across the Earth's surface. Uh, and this cooling effect is visible to Landsat's thermal sensors. So where we see a higher rates of evapotranspiration, we see more cooling, and this shows up as lower or cooler land surface temperatures in the thermal infrared imagery that Landsat collects. We also need to know a little bit about uh, how much vegetation is on the landscape. So Landsat also helps us measure the amount of red and near-infrared uh, light that's being reflected off the land surface. This is really important because chlorophyll in plants is going to absorb uh, red and near infrared, absorb and reflect a red and near infrared light differently. And so, looking at reflectances in those wavelengths helps us estimate the amount of green growing vegetation that's on the landscape. Putting all that information together, OpenET uses biophysical models to combine the satellite data with weather data to calculate evapotranspiration, these really high spatial resolutions across the Western US. So I'm really happy to be able to uh, share with you the first fully interactive map of uh, field-scale evapotranspiration for the Western U.S. And so one of the things that's important about OpenET is that it's not just an operational system for generating this data, but the team has worked really hard to produce a set of uh, uh, data services and mapping services that allow anyone with a web browser to access, explore, and retrieve information from OpenET. So what you're seeing here is data for millions of agricultural fields across the 17 Western states. In addition to these summaries that have been pre-computed to make it easier for folks to explore and understand the information, information is also available at this original satellite resolution of 30 meters by 30 meters, or a little less than a quarter of an acre per pixel. So data can also be accessed for any location across the Western US. But to show you a little bit how it works, I'll go ahead and zoom in on one field in Grand Valley, Colorado. We've been lucky to have a couple of really forward-thinking folks in the agricultural community who are working hard to improve the sustainability of water supplies. The Colorado River Basin work with all work with us on this. And yeah. the field I'm going to highlight, I know for folks who are listening, they can't can't see it, but That's this okay. field was enrolled, this is actually Grand Valley, and this field was enrolled in one of these early voluntary uh, water conservation pilot programs to see how different water conservation practices affected uh, evapotranspiration, and more importantly, the total consumptive use, total water use within this region. And you can see within OpenET, simply now by placing my cursor over a field, the information on the uh, total evapotranspiration for the year selected is shown along with a monthly time series. And that monthly time series for each field is the depth of water in inches that is returning from the land surface back to the atmosphere. In the same way that we intuitively understand what an inch of rain means, an inch of evapotranspiration is basically the same thing. It's just that water returning from the land surface and going back to the atmosphere. You can think of it as effectively the opposite of precipitation. So you'll see that um, 
And in addition to being able to simply get the data for the year selected, when I go ahead and click on that field, that's actually making a call out to OpenET and retrieving the monthly time series for that field. And what we see here is each data point is the total ET in inches for that for the, the month that I'm selecting. And we'll see that something's really different in 2017, right? Clearly, there was a change uh, in the evapotranspiration. And what we know is that in, in 2017, this, this field was enrolled in this uh, pilot program, this incentive-driven conservation program. And we see this dramatic reduction in ET associated with, with the fact that no water was applied to this field during that year. In 2017, we see that the increase in ET began late. And when we look at the cumulative totals here, we can see just how easy it is to compare, uh, compare patterns different, during different years. During uh, a typical year, we're seeing evapotranspiration rates on the order of 32 to 38 inches per year, about a little over three acre feet per acre. That's about what we would expect for an alfalfa field in this basin. In 2017, when they were fully enrolled in the program and no water was applied, there were uh, uh, between about uh, 26 to 30 inches of water conserved. Uh, apologies for the barking in the background. And in 2017, when water was applied late, they were still able to harvest a crop but gave up that first cutting. Uh, we still see meaningful water savings associated with this change in the water management practice. So what's powerful about this is it allows the, the grower, uh, the landowner, or water rights holder, and the program administrator to all be looking at the same information and evaluating how changes in water management practices are affecting the ET and consumptive use. Another thing that's unique about OpenET is that uh, we can also compare results from different, uh, different models. So if we want to understand, perhaps if there's a particular uh, irrigation district uh, grower who's been working with one of these models in the past, they can easily compare them to see how similar or different estimates are from these different techniques. But at the end of the day, OpenET provides this single ensemble value uh, as an indication of the consensus estimate from these different approaches. And then finally, we recognize that uh, folks are going to be interested in ET for uh, wetlands, for uh, forested areas, uh, for uh, calculating evaporation from open water bodies. That information is also accessible uh, simply by clicking on the gridded data the, the, at the original satellite resolution. Information is available for any location of interest. Or folks can use the Draw Custom Area tool. And this will let them uh, also select data for uh, both agricultural regions and other regions that may be of interest to them. And those calls actually make calls out to Earth Engine, search through petabytes of data to find the lo location on the disk that contains the data they're interested in and return it to their web browser. Oh man, this this is so powerful and so incredible. And as as a water person and a map person and a and a data person, I could just sit here and tinker around with this thing endlessly. Very very cool. Um, and so maybe I'm, I'm naive on this. The way that this um, gets all this data, you have satellites that are just constantly actually gathering data on evapotranspiration, huh? The satellites are gathering data on land surface temperature and measuring the amount of light that's being reflected from the Earth's surface in different wavelengths. Hmm. 
OpenET uses bio, well-established biophysical models that uh, model the physical processes at the land surface to calculate evapotranspiration using satellite data in combination with weather data to run all of those physical calculations and come up with uh, an ETS, a calculated ET for every quarter acre across the landscape. Powerful computing there at work. Um, so, you know, you, I'd love to talk about the different users and some of the case studies, you know, the use cases, as you said. I think you've kind of hit on farmers a little bit here, but I'd love to talk more about who can benefit from using OpenET, how they use it, and, and maybe illustrate that through some of the use cases. Um, I, if people go to your website, it's, it's amazing to look at how many different use cases, the diversity of those, um, a, a lot. Of, a lot of work went in before this was launched to understand and, and see how it would be used for sure. But yeah, I'd love to, love to hear about who benefits and how. Yeah, maybe I could start with just sort of a token of gratitude to those use case partners that you're referring to. Um, they've really been instrumental in making this all happen and making sure that we're building something that really is intuitive for folks to use um, and serving the, the end goals that we all had in mind for it. So a huge kudos um, and, and gratitude to all of them. And I'll just speak to a few of them to answer your question. I'll start by giving an example of how OpenET can help rural communities. Um, you mentioned the partnership with some ranchers in Colorado. Um, and in that particular instance, OpenET is being used in a four-year research project that's evaluating the impacts of reduced irrigation on high elevation pasture land in order to meet water conservation goals in that particular area. Um, and so OpenET is being used in that study to estimate water use and changes in water use with different approaches to deficit irrigation and reduced irrigation on nearly 1,500 acres of pasture land owned by eight ranchers. Um, but importantly, it's also that data is being collected alongside economic data and yield data. And the goal there is to identify solutions that balance water supply and demand while supporting sustained agricultural production and vibrant rural economies. And I think, you know, without being able to measure how much water farmers and ranchers are saving from conservation programs, it's really hard to expect them to participate in voluntary programs or to really experiment locally in the way that they are in Colorado in that particular instance with different approaches for meeting water conservation goals and really gain an understanding of what works best for that particular community. So by tracking water use with satellites instead of ground-based towers, OpenET can cover much larger swaths of land and it's a huge advantage then because it can really help inform and improve water management and the implementation of these types of water conservation projects and experiments at much larger scales across the parched west than would otherwise be possible and in a way that's much more economical um, for communities to, to partake in, in these types of experiments and these types of programs. So OpenET, we're really, um, it's big, right? It covers the West. Um, and yet I think one of the most powerful things about it is that it really enables locally developed sustainable water management solutions um, that in some cases can be replicated elsewhere. And in some cases may look very different depending on, on where you're sitting and what works best for that particular local community. And I think that's absolutely crucial to being able to adapt to climate change and water scarcity across the West. And then I'll give um, one more example on the water management front, water manager front, and then pass over to Forrest to speak to a few uh, few others. But in terms of water managers, OpenET is being used in, in my home state in California, um, which you're probably aware is experiencing a drought even worse than the very bad one that ended just five years ago. 
And during that last drought, California enacted the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, which we call SIGMA, to address decades of groundwater overpumping. Under SIGMA, nearly 20 regions are required to balance groundwater supply and demand by 2040. The Rosa Rio Bravo, Bravo Water Storage District, which is on nearly 44,000 acres um, within the critically overdrafted groundwater basin, current groundwater basin, um, is, is facing the challenge of compliance with SIGMA and figuring out how to bring, um, how to balance groundwater supply and demand in, in their district. And so to help comply with the law, Rosedale partnered with EDF to build an online groundwater accounting and trading platform using OpenET data. So OpenET data there lets landowners track their own annual water budget um, by parcel to inform their irrigation and crop management and helps district staff track the water budget for the entire district. And the platform for them looks, looks much like it would look if you logged into, you know, a SMUD or other electric utility um, user interface that we all are familiar with for tracking our own electric, electricity use, except it's showing water use over the course of the year. Um, and that's also going to serve as the foundation to launch a regional water trading program, which will give farmers there more flexibility um, in managing their water supplies. And so I think that's, again, a similar in, in the sense that it's a local community sort of in, ingesting this data and using it in a way that works for them um, in accordance with the solutions that they're putting out there to manage through this drought and, and to manage and, and deal with Sigma. Um, but also a really great example of water managers um, at that scale, sort of innovating around this data and adding value to it with their own programs um, and their own solutions. And uh, maybe I'll let Forrest speak a little bit to some other examples in terms of farmers using the data. Um, sure. Thanks, Robin. We, so Robin talked a bit about uh, how policymakers and local communities um, can use data from OpenET to support their decision-making and planning for how, how they want to manage water to meet uh, local challenges. In the California Delta, um, landowners will soon be able to use OpenET to track their water use, which they're now required to report to the state. And for this use case, OpenET is valuable for two reasons. One, it provides that single ensemble ET value, helping bypass the whole challenge of deciding you know, which model to use. Second, it represents a pretty significant cost savings for these landowners relative to other methods of compliance, which are going to require metering of both every point of diversion and every point of return flow in the delta, which is very complicated hydrologically. So uh, OpenET simplifies the regulatory compliance process for them. At the same time, OpenET is being used as a rebuttable estimate. Uh, we've worked really hard on the data conducted the largest intercomparison and accuracy assessment to date for remotely sensed ET data at field scales, but the science is going to continue to improve. And so if a landowner or a water rights holder looks at the data and thinks it might not be quite right for their field, they're always welcome to, in this use case, to submit additional documentation or uh, measurements from meters if they prefer. Um, so we we recommend that use of data from OpenET as a rebuttable estimate especially because it's such a new technology. We want to allow time for our agricultural partners to complete their review of the information and provide feedback to the team. A final use case that's worth mentioning and that we'll be working really hard on over the next year is use for day-to-day -day management of irrigation. Uh, this is one of the applications that's most important to me personally. We'll be adding daily data to OpenET in the coming year. And we've been working with partners, including folks at E&J Gallo uh, and uh, additional farms uh, across the West 
to understand their requirements for using ET data as part of their on-farm water management practices. And in uh, work conducted by Ian J. Gallo, as well as trials in the Salinas Valley conducted by NASA and the University of California, we've seen how day-to-day use of ET data to inform irrigation management can result in meaningful savings, meaningful reductions in applied water, uh, which in turn results in uh, cost savings for electricity pumping. We tend to see more fertilizer remaining in the root zone when the irrigation closely matches ET, and that in turn can result in savings for for fertilizer uh, as well for agricultural producers. Um, so these are there are important benefits, but the challenge has been that in the past, this data has been uh, difficult to access, especially for smaller agricultural producers. Uh, based on the last USDA surveys, only about 78% of farmers nationally reported using ET data to inform irrigation. In California, it's higher, about 14%. But we anticipate that by making daily, data, daily ET data available through OpenET, and providing an application programming interface so that the information can be integrated into existing farm and ranch management software, we can substantially increase the numbers of the percentage of growers that are using data-driven irrigation and nutrient management strategies. You know, I I wanted to also ask about the private sector. Um, I think you mentioned E&J Gallo, uh, but what's, what's the role for private entities, the private sector using this tool? You know, we've, we've talked about maybe the corporate sector or whatever it might be. What are, what are some possibilities there? Yeah, I'll, I'll say, you know, the primary goal for OpenET going forward, or, or a few of them, um, is to advance the science, maintain the data's integrity, and maintain that broad access to the data that Forrest demonstrated earlier via the website, and eventually as, as well the API that he's talked about, so that all users public or private, can continue to add value and benefit from its availability. And in terms of that private sector, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to add value to data from OpenET. And in fact, it's often going to be most powerful when combined with other sources of information. Um, So examples of that include the incorporation of ET data into irrigation scheduling tools, which we just heard about. But also, um, as I spoke to, the incorporation of ET data into water budgeting and accounting tools and into groundwater models and other planning tools that are often used by consulting agencies and state agencies. Um, And then there's also the potential for those same consultants to add analytical and interpretation services, right? So um, there's a a whole host of possibilities there. And then one that we're also sort of interested in exploring a little more is the value of incorporating OpenET into corporate sustainability programs, right, as a way to track progress against water sustainability goals. Um, And that's that's an example of an application and use case that we're interested in kind of looking into as we head into the future with OpenET. Great. Well, you mentioned a few of the ways I think that it'll, it'll evolve, improve, expand. Is there anything else you all would, you would want to add to that front on, on what might be coming up in the years ahead or how you expect this platform to change? I'll jump in and start. It'd be great to hear Forrest's take on this too. But what I'll say first is that um, while we are primarily focused on, on the integrity of the data and its access, um, we're also really committed to the educational component um, of, of what we're doing. And so One of the most immediate things that we're planning in terms of what's next is a series of webinars and trainings that we're starting next month um, to help potential users across the 17 Western states that are currently covered by OpenET. Um, And we're continued to to continue providing those educational 
um, services and conduct trainings like those to help potential users understand the data and all of its potential applications. And as you've alluded to, there's a lot of content on the website that we put out there to, to do the same. Um, and so we'll continue in that vein. Um, and then maybe Forrest, if you want to talk a little bit about sort of geographic expansion and, and some of those other next steps as well. Well, that's a, that's a interesting. You mentioned geographic expansion because I was thinking that there's a lot of other states that are going to be jealous of this tool, right? You've got these 17 Western states that have this open ET at their fingertips, and I can see other people looking over there with some some envy for sure. Sure. So yes, that's <laughs> next on our list uh, is continuing to add data uh, for the Eastern U.S., uh, starting with expansion for the Mississippi Alluvial Plain and the Mississippi River Delta are two high priority regions for us. Uh, right after launch, we started getting emails from um, folks interested in open ET for Brazil, uh, Mexico, Australia, the Philippines. Oh. <laughs> so uh, we will be working on strategies to support international expansion in the future. You know, th that said, for a, a big part of the success, I think, of open ET relies on the, the partnerships. So we need those in-country partners to help us identify the requirements, uh, understand uh, how information can be used and most effectively developed for different regions around the world that are, are facing similar problems to the ones we're facing in the Western U.S. Hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned the word partnership there and, you know, Another thing that struck me is is just the the diversity and the the weight of the partners involved in this program. You know, Environmental Defense Fund and Google and leading universities and NASA. And I guess that really just speaks to how critical it is to improve water management right now at, at this at this time. Um, you know, any thoughts on on the the partnership aspect here and just just what it means to have all those you know heavy weights involved in this. Yes, so OpenET, as you mentioned, in, includes three federal agencies, NASA, USGS, and USDA, the Environmental Defense Fund, Google, uh, scientists and software engineers from six ET modeling teams at, at universities and government agencies, uh, along with Habitat7, our web developers. So it's really an incredible team of folks who, um, many of whom have dedicated their lives to working on this problem and providing information that can help us support decision-making to advance the sustainability of our water supplies. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, that's been the part of this project that has been most rewarding uh, and inspiring. Uh, moving forward, I think it's also a key, really the core strength of OpenET in terms of our ability to and continue to improve the science, support additional applications and use cases, uh, and uh, uh, do the hard work to increase, ensure that it's being used in ways that are truly beneficial for agricultural producers, for water managers, and for local communities. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I'll just Robert. add to that, you know, it's, I know Forrest has been um, sort of equally, uh, feels the same way I do about our, our ability to work with the community of users out there um, for this data. And most importantly, to sort of be inspired by the level of commitment and creativity and ingenuity um, that we've seen from all these partners around various parts of the water management table from farmers and water managers to the technical team and the scientists. Um, and, you know, you mentioned and, and Forrest mentioned that there's, there's challenges out there for water management for sure. Um, we're in unprecedented times to some degree, but, um, 
the ability to work with this group and see the dedication that they all have to finding new ways to meet those challenges and, and manage through them, it really gives us a great deal of hope um, that we can succeed in developing strategies and, and adjusting to having less water in the West and in other parts of the world that are facing that same challenge. Yeah, fantastic. Very, very exciting stuff. Um, you know, I know all those users are excited just as a water person myself, and I, you know, keep smiling when I look at this thing. So uh, great job. Congratulations on, to you and everybody involved in getting this out there and uh, look forward to, to tracking its, its impact uh, ahead. But Robin and Forrest, thank you both so much. Thank you so much. Really good talking with you. Thanks for having us today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at highsierrashowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop.